building nice and tidy it's a rule i learned in school get your money every friday happy endings are the rule so divide up those in darkness from the ones who This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. Today, I want to throw myself into the past. Study history. Learn your place in time. That's what my old professors used to say. Quoted Gertrude Stein. Stein wrote, Let me recite. What history teaches? History teaches. I want to know what hit me. I mean, what hit all of us. Now, back in 2001, 18 years ago, uh, history was an attack on the Twin Towers in Manhattan. Something, yes, something in the way. (laughs) A switch, you know. Ah, the East coming to smash the West. Think of all the children. Think of all the children who were not even alive 18 years ago in 2001. (laughs) Certainly didn't know anything about Al-Qaeda or Osama bin Laden or whatever. I was um, eight years old. Eight. Two days before the attack on Pearl Harbor. Now... How many school children today can tell you that date? The date when I was eight? Let's see. On the fifth, I had my party. I had two rooms full of presents, and on the seventh, December the seventh, nineteen forty one, Japan made a major hit on Pearl Harbor. Ah, my father packed up and headed for San Diego, going the Navy. He was born in 1902. Both my parents were born in 1902. Count. He was a bit old for the war, but uh, they took him in because he was a doctor and they put him on a hospital ship and... The 20th century, it's still with us everywhere. It was with me all through my childhood. Still, still, the past is always present. Sometimes, sometimes it's just a movie, I like to say. God isn't dead. She's just gone to the movies. That's where we live. I like to watch the old movies on cable TV. Right. Uh, Not the sort of thing mm, 
most people like to see these days. My dreamscape, my dreamscape is certainly not reality. Oh, the occasional documentary on Anne Frank, yes, Anne Frank, uh-huh. She's the one I used to write in my little journal and then copy out what she'd written in hers and try to remember that she didn't have a chance to grow up. Because uh, there's no reality at the movies except, uh, you know, nothing's more real than fantasy. Look at the symbols. Look for the mythos. Right, fantasy. Our 20th century. Look at the old movies and you will see our 20th century right here in the old U.S. of A. Last night, I watched a, a Hollywood movie released in 1948. And uh, it refers to the penthouse of a reclusive Dictatorial millionaire, <laughs> Charles Lawton, yes. Uh, reclusive, um, the dictatorial millionaire, they call it his own private Berchtesgaden. <laughs> I kind of turned around and I looked at the screen and I thought, Berchtesgaden? Oh, oh, I remember, yes, Adolf Hitler's... Uh, uh, mountain retreat in the Bavarian Alps. <laughs> oh, yes. Ah, Berchtesgaden. Ava Braun would join him there, and the dogs, anyway. Up there on the mountain, he could look down over the world he intended to conquer. Yes. <laughs> As a character done so well by Charlie Chaplin in that film, The Great Dictator, which was released, believe it or not, before World War II, I believe. The Great Dictator by uh, Charlie Chaplin, 1939, if memory serves me. Uh, my favorite character, yes, is always his mistress, Eva Braun. I'm trying to remember... Uh, the woman with whom Donald Trump spent most of his time in his own little Bertis garden, that would be Mar-a-Lago in Palm Beach, Florida. Well, I'm sure there's no similarity, but uh, <laughs> uh, uh, the Trump Hotel has only got 180 rooms, and <laughs> he only owns 51% of the the hotel. Uh, okay, it's not funny, it's not funny. Ava Braun died with Adolf Hitler in their bunker in Berlin there at the end as the Soviet troops moved in. <laughs> they were down there with a cyanide and a gun. Pretty blonde, blonde woman. She was always saying she wanted to be pretty for Hitler. Uh, she wanted to be married before the two of them took the cyanide. She wished to die as a married woman. <laughs> Adolf made an honest woman of her at the end. Now, Joseph Goebbels, the Minister of Information, I believe, the propaganda dude, 
Joseph Goebbels and his wife and their five children, uh, five, was it five very young children, uh, they joined the Fuhrer in that uh, suicidal exit. I'm sure they thought it was very Wagnerian, but the horrors of World War II were uh, very intimate, immediate, close and personal for me. Uh, when I was a child, I remember, I remember finally, uh, well, I, I had to sneak in to see the documentaries showing the aftermath of the Holocaust. Uh, my mother tried to prevent me, but I, uh, <laughs> I always found a way to get into the movie house and see the see see the news reels, see those uh, those scoops pushing all those bodies into great great mass graves. Never mind. Today's children may look back on the mid twentieth century as if it were just oh golly yeah. <laughs> Something back in the, the Renaissance, you know, uh, they certainly do confuse the two world wars. Uh, in the movies, you need to, uh, well, it helps to have the uniforms, yes, the uniforms, uh, so you can identify World War One and World War Two being very different, of course. You know, trenches the first time and uh, invasion the second time. Uh, they used to practice the invasion, what they call the amphibious landing. You know, those little uh, boats that would go up to the shore and they, uh, sort of drop down, the a door would drop down and the men could run up the beach. Uh, amphibious landings, they practiced them down in La Jolla, California. I remember, I remember. Uh, dropped a few bombs, dead fish for weeks. Anyway, I think that most young people discover the past by looking at the movies. Gore Vidal said the only liberal education available is uh, on film. Orson Welles, of course, said it was the only way to educate the masses. Uh, okay, World War Two. oh dear. It's so hard to keep the players straight in history. I've lost track of the good guys and the bad guys. Somebody said a few years ago, they said, Oh, we've become the good Germans. I said, What do you mean, the good Germans? He said, Oh, well, we're, we're liberals, you know. Uh, we're progressives. Uh, but our nation... Our country uh, is probably, well, probably the bad guys. But uh, even I'm not even sure about that anymore. Some days we seem to be doing a few things right, but for the most part, I don't know what's 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 worse—the corruption or the confusion. Uh, today we have global conflicts, uh, border wars. Uh, State terrorism in most states. Of course, some rogue states, they're terrorists too. Uh, it's all like medieval warlords. Yes, that, that's the right, that's the right parallel. Uh, you see all these new rulers? Warlords is exactly what they are. 
these used to be, well, they still are, just family feuds. Look around, uh, you know, tribes. Uh, Italy was so, so, so fabulous in the, uh, in the Renaissance. I don't remember. They had at least a dozen, a dozen little, uh, call them city-states, ancient Greece. I don't know why it's considered progress for countries to get bigger and bigger and bigger borders-wise, but <laughs> Russia seemed to pull it off until it became the Soviet Union. And then, oh, dear, 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 uh, our own civil war. Ah, now, there you go. I like the civil war because the North wore the blue uniforms and the South wore the gray. Yes, that was it. You could tell the difference. Ah, but good guys and bad guys, North and South. Oh, look around, look around at the class markers. Uh, is rich and poor, rich and poor, north and south. The class marker now, I looked at the map, it's race, what they call race, let's call it the color line. W.B. Du Bois in 1901, he said the problem of the 20th century will be the problem of the color line. You got that? Color line. Now, if you think about it, our present current civil war, uh, internal conflict, external conflict, may be a kind of continuation of that war that Abraham Lincoln tried to win, win, win that war. Uh-huh. Uh, it's like the Middle East today. The plans for reconstruction got lost back there in 1863, 4, and then they killed him. And Abe Lincoln did have a plan to resurrect the South so that it could function as a part of the nation once more, could all be together again. Mm, they tried to do that in Europe at the end of World War II. Plan was to bring back the economic health to the land and to its people instead. The millions, I do believe it was millions by then, uh, 1864, uh, at least one million was how many? Anyway, all those slaves, those captives, <laughs> they were fired from the plantations. The wealth of the South was lost or stolen, never to be fully restored, certainly not psychologically, psychically. Uh, the idea was to break their spirit. Carpetbaggers, right. Okay. Now, the white supremacy movement of the moment of today is the the KKK, you know, in another in another sheet, right? Uh, you know, it's all the same. Uh, it never went away, not really. It's like in Germany that Freikor that hung on between the two world wars, so that the First World War, you know, the Germans, uh-huh, 
<laughs> they wanted to kick kick the uh, the uh, lost war syndrome. What was it um, Bush Senior used to say? Got to kick the Vietnam syndrome. Go back to war. Be a man again. Of course, wars are never won. That is understood. You can't win a war any more than you can win an earthquake. History, history is a whip. It is a whip that drives us, not forward, just onward. I will repeat, history is a whip which drives us not forward, just onward. Onward, Samuel Beckett moans and groans. When, oh, when will you have done tormenting me with your time? When will you have done tormenting me? Ah, T.S. Eliot wrote, Time and the bell have buried the day, the bell. The bell rings for us all sooner or later, but... Historically, it kind of rings, you know, uh, let's call it every generation, every decade, perhaps. Ah, uh, uh, John Donne, the English poet, wrote, Send not to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Shakespeare even had more to say to say about time and the stages of man, yes. At the end, he says, it is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. Shakespeare, Shakespeare, Mark Twain wrote a book. His last book, it was titled, Is Shakespeare Dead? Right, I repeat, Mark Twain's last book was titled, Is Shakespeare Dead? Mark Twain is one of those, like me, who believes that Shakespeare's plays and sonnets and poems were written uh, not by the dude from Stratford, the guy called Will Shakespeare, but by the 17th Earl of Oxford, Edward de Vere. He has about five other titles, yes. Uh, there's a conference going on at the Mark Twain House in Hartford, Connecticut, uh, pretty soon. I haven't got the dates on that. I think i got to take a plane and go. Uh, it's at Hartford, not Stratford. It's Hartford, Connecticut, Connecticut, the Mark Twain House. Uh, oh, shoot, uh, Maybe I can maybe I can get a pal to go with me, but the conference is for all those of us who believe in the Oxfordian theory. Yes, that is that the seventeenth Earl of Oxford was the man who wrote Shakespeare's plays. Uh, now, will Shakespeare, the one who put his name to the uh, plays, not that he signed anything. There's no record of anything ever written in the hand of the guy from Stratford, but uh, he, Will, was a front, an actor, is an actor up there in London at the Globe Theatre. Uh, now, the annual conference includes a whole lot of theatre people, 
Uh, it also includes, would you believe, the late Supreme Court Justice Stevens. Now, that, I think, is very, very special. I did not know that until I ran across it in the New Yorker of August the 4th, I believe. August the 4th, New Yorker. Look it up, talk of the town, right? The Supreme Court Justice John Paul Stevens. Uh, his death, I believe, was not too long ago, month and a half or so. Anyway, had a beautiful uh, service. He had been long retired, but uh, uh, Stevens was indeed one of those who thinks that Will Shakespeare was a front for Edward de Vere. Now, the other people on the list of believers include Derek Jacobi. You remember him. You remember Derek Jacobi. I, Claudius. <laughs> anyway, big television series. And another actor called Mark Rylance, who many people will not know, but he, I believe, has been called the greatest actor in England at this time. Mark Rylance, R-Y-L-A-N-C-E, I believe, Rylance. Uh, I saw him in something that I, I, I really would like to buy. It's a series. It's called Wolf Hall. He plays Thomas Cromwell, uh, the right-hand man of Henry VIII, uh, man who did Henry VIII's uh, dirty work for him. Uh, an amazing performance, very, very, very subtle, very low key. Uh, he's been, a, I mean, he's been visible in a few shoot 'em ups and thrillers, so a lot of people would recognize him. But he's not in any way, uh, he's not a handsome leading man. He's just a fascinating, fascinating character. Uh, it's one of those people who can transform his uh, his manner. Uh, can become a number of people. Uh, anyway, uh, there are 400 members in this group of Oxfordians, The uh, not just actors, but all kinds of people. Uh, back in 2009, this group gave Justice Stevens their highest honor. They named him Oxfordian of the Year. Gave him a plaque. <laughs> I just, I just think it would be wonderful if uh, uh, the crowd there at the Mark Twain House could show some of these uh, films. Like, oh yes, there's a film called uh, Anonymous. Now, I think that that would be the hit of the conference. Uh, uh, Derek Jacoby appears in this movie titled Anonymous. He introduces it. He uh, comes rushing into the theater and a uh, curtain goes up and he tells the audience that there is another story, uh, a much different story uh, about the plays and he's going to show it to us. And we see uh, Ben Johnson, the poet, the writer Ben Johnson, coming on for the first seat in which he's trying to hide the plays, you know, put them, oh, gosh, there's a fire. The uh, uh, the soldiers are putting uh, putting the, well, not the plays, but they're trying to set the globe on fire, and Ben Johnson's trying to hide the plays. And 
later later he digs them out and later he tells the uh, the wife of Edward de Vere that the only reason anyone will know their names is because uh, they were related to Edward de Vere Shakespeare himself the wife the wife was about about to throw them away you know she really was appalled imagine an aristocrat doing anything so low class as to write plays and put your name on them anyway uh, they didn't want this aristocrat to uh, what is that uh, <laughs> claim to be what would it what would a playwright have been uh, I guess a servant uh, in those days in Elizabethan era actors and many other theater people, mainly actors, could not be buried in consecrated ground. That's the damnedest thing. I've never figured that one out. But, <laughs> you know, they were, they were what is it, uh, ungodly, I guess, ungodly. Very, very strange. Uh, anyway, Derek Jacoby introduces Anonymous, and I would recommend it to anyone who has the least bit of interest in the Elizabethan era. Uh, uh, in, the, in the movie, very early on, uh, Edward de Vere is a young child, and he's doing bits from Midsummer Night's Dream, which he has written as a very, very young man. And he's got to rewrite it a whole, a whole bunch later and uh, make it more complex. But the young Elizabeth, she's there, and she sees these bits and pieces, the comic bits in Midsummer Night's Dream. And she asks, who is the author? <laughs> and uh, Edward de Vera's child comes forward and he says, uh, the author, the name of the author is Anonymous. She smiles very sweetly and she says, oh, 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 I have so enjoyed, I have so enjoyed his work uh, <laughs> over the years. This is true. I always kept those poems in my lit class that were signed anonymous. Anyway, the movie Anonymous is a terrific historical romance, even if you're not the least bit interested in who wrote what. Uh, I've seen it so many times, I'm trying to get it straight. Uh, it's on cable. Uh, Stars Network. Uh, I don't know. It's so interesting. Uh the people, the people who were, uh, well, not not in the movie, but the people that are talking about this stuff, uh, they keep saying that it's not that a commoner couldn't have written uh, the plays, but it's that there is no evidence that Will Shakespeare ever wrote it, anything, not so much as a letter, not a, a page or scrap. I that how can that be possible? Uh, there are a number of books. I have three of them. I'm digging into them. They're exhausting. Uh, just can't find any evidence for Will Shakespeare being uh, a writer. There's rumors in the movie that he was illiterate. He could, of course, read to learn his lines, but uh, he uh, had an illiterate wife, and neither of his daughters could read or write. Uh, uh, it was common in those days. However, <laughs> you'd think perhaps they might have put pen to paper once or twice. Uh, anyway, uh, the original front, according to the movie, the original uh, beard, we called it, yes, the 
cover man was the playwright Ben Johnson. Now, I want to do a part two of this show because I want to tell you about uh, what happened to Ben Johnson and the rest of this crowd. Uh, (laughs) Shakespeare got enough money from Devere to buy himself a family crest. He was apparently a major fraud. If you love the Elizabethans, check out Anonymous. And I'll tell you more about it next time, part two. This has been Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. I'll be back again soon. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. This is Miguel Gavilan Murina of Flashpoints and La Onda Bajita, inviting you to join us for a very special Latino Heritage Month movie matinee. Forty years ago, in 1979, Warner Brothers released Boulevard Nights, a film about two brothers and their fight to resist gang lifestyle in East Los Angeles. This film is held in high regard for its cultural importance. It was the first major studio film to heavily represent low-riding culture as an important part of the indigenous Latino experience. The film stars Richard Ignez, Danny de la Paz, and Betty Carvalho. So join us on Saturday, September 28th at 3 p.m. at the New Parkway Theater for a screening of Boulevard Nights with an after-film discussion led by me, Miguel Gavilán Molina. For more information, visit kpfa.org or thenewparkway.com.